Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nine Lives Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4, right? Yeah, 4. Uh, today we have a very special guest, my fiancé, Joe. Hello. Uh, who's very kindly come on the pod this week. We are in Thailand, northern Thailand, having a really lovely time. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's warm, we're in a jungle. You lived here for... About four months. Four months. And our best friend, or Joe's best friend, lives here in Northern Thailand full-time. He's a Mai Tai fighter and general all-round lovely person. So we've been exploring the jungles. I ran up Doi Sutep, which is a mountain um, with a temple at the top. And uh, <clears throat> that was quite an adventure. Yeah. So Very impressive. We've been having a lot of fun, doing a lot of different things. It's been really, really fun. And yeah, so thank you for coming on the podcast today. It is usually me on my own, so it's always nice to have someone on. But this is the first person from my personal life, private life. Nice. That, privileged. That is on. So yeah. it's lovely to have you here. Um, so Joe is a herpetologist, conservationist, general all round, pretty good human being, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think the main thing that people have asked me is the story of how we met. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell the people how we met? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's quite a wholesome story, really, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So set up by my nan and your mum. Yep. I think they were the main, main yep. counterparts in your it. Your grandma. Yes. Yeah. So we were set up on a dog walk. Yeah. To meet your puppy at the time. Yeah. Which is now the big dog, Cowboy. Cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, we kind of met because of Cowboy. Yeah. So I got my dog cowboy in lockdown um, and your nan is like queen bee of the dog park yes, in London. in Richmond Park. And she needed to be sort of presented with the dog because yep. it was a new dog coming to the park. So, yeah. And then she just said, oh, you know, are you single? Um, and do you like snakes? And I was like, that's a really weird question. But <laughs> yes, I'm single. I love reptiles. She's like, oh, you should meet my grandson. And I, so I was in my kind of middle stage of my journey of like getting better. So I really wasn't interested in meeting anyone (laughs) because I was just very focused on like getting better. But then the first time I saw you, I was like, damn. Yeah. Well, it was an accident as well, that one. It was. Neither of us knew. We didn't know. So yeah, your mum and my mum set up a kind of dog walk yep. and we kind of just met. And then I think immediately we just started talking about like Vikings and lifting, yeah. Yeah. reptiles, it's animals. Lots. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it's a very wholesome story. Our families are very close now. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we have a really nice, very calm relationship and that's yeah. very special. So yeah, it's a good story. Um, you were definitely the first person I dated sober, mm-hmm. which is very cool because I used to always think that being drunk was the only way to date people and the only way to have fun. But when I met you, I remember the first one of the first conversations we had was like you saying that you didn't drink and I was yeah. still drinking at the time. So I was like, how does that even, how do you even do that? Um <laughs> But I think our first date was a walk in the park. Yeah. We were talking and I was so nervous. I actually ran away from you the first time we met. Yes. Yeah, because yes. I was so nervous. I was a little bit confused. Yeah. It, 
yeah. probably was very confusing because I literally, I remember you crouching down to say hello to Cowboy and I got so nervous that I ran away because yeah. I fancied you so much. Yeah, so I, I was like, I'm off, goodbye. And I ran up the hill with Cowboy. Yeah. Um, but no, the first day we went on was just a walk in the park and it was unusual for me not to be drunk doing things. So it was good to like talk and actually use my brain and yeah. connect with a human being. Yeah, so, yeah. I was your mum's birthday, wasn't it? It was my mum's birthday. I remember you going back to make cakes. Yeah, I made a mushroom cake yes. with, um, yeah. what are they called? Uh, Fly Garrick. Fly And I remember that was like one of the things I told my mum because I sent you a picture of the cake. Yes. And it had very special, di- I molded different mushrooms and put them on the cake for my mum, which is the most Cassia thing ever. And you were like, oh, Fly Garrick. Yeah. I remember telling my mum, like, mum, you know, names of mushrooms yeah they're a very special mushroom they are yeah, they are didn't the vikings eat them they did yes because they are hallucinogenic um mushrooms yeah and that's what they gave us the berserkers on the berserkers on the yeah front line of the viking good old mushrooms um main question that people were asking and we've got a lot of really amazing questions from you guys so thank you so much we're going to do a whole q a portion but um i think the focus or at least what a lot of people are so fascinated by you is um sobriety spiritualism but also your work and Mm -hmm. and how you got into your work because the previous episode i did was all about finding your purpose and your sublime and your meaning in this life which for me is obviously accidentally become running Mm, (laughs) and coaching people to run and hopefully through this podcast and general work i do with my platform inspiring people to move and you know, look at life a little bit differently and try and do something better for themselves. That's my purpose. But it took me until I'm 30 years old to really solidify that in my life. However, you are someone who I think you found your purpose very young. Yeah, about four. Four years old. So do you remember the first time you witnessed a snake or knew that that's what you wanted to do with your life? Um, I mean, it was always kind of innately, you know, within me as, as soon as my, I had a kind of subconscious to, to fall back on, it was just always in the, the drive and the love and the interest in, in the natural world, particularly mm. reptiles. Uh, but there's a few moments. Yeah. I think when I was four, I went to uh, a rescue center that I started working at when I was then 14 years old, went to that rescue center. And I remember the snake being put around my neck and thinking, this is, this is very cool. I need one of these. Yeah. And then I was trying, I was asking my mum for a snake every day um from five years old until i got to seven when she thought okay this isn't a phase anymore it's been a few years uh, so i managed to get my first snake that i rescued when i was seven it was a little mm. corn snake um and yeah so i started that kind of that captive husbandry uh, and care for animals from from you know, Very six or seven years old yeah had a hamster when i was four had tarantulas scorpions spiders by the age of seven eight so by the time i got to 10 11 i had already had a whole host of mammals rodents um, snakes, lizards, scorpions, tarantulas. Um, so yeah, it was very young. Very mm. young. That's amazing. And for those who don't know, herpetologist means someone who works with reptiles, right? And amphibians. And amphibians. Yes. So to be a herpetologist is someone who studies, works with, and helps snakes and reptiles. Yes. Basically. So it's a very niche. I mean, it's not niche to us any, anymore because obviously I know what a herpetologist is and all of your friends are herpetologists or some of them are. Um, but for those listening, I suppose the main thing that, or the thing that people message me the most is like, why are you looking for snakes? Yeah. Because they're so dangerous. They're so gross. They're so scary. Yeah. The usual stuff. 
And I think growing up for me, especially like, and the reason why maybe we got so close so quickly is because I have never been scared of any animal. Yeah, I've always loved like creepy crawlies, reptiles, slimy slugs and snakes and not snakes aren't slimy, but you know, things that are like weird and wonderful. I've always really loved, but I, what I love about snakes the most is how misunderstood they are. And even in the time that we've been together, I've learned so much about what snakes actually are and how they're not, they don't want to come and bite you. They don't want to come and like attack you unless they're like a very angry kind of snake. Um, But I think them being so misunderstood is like why I really like them. Yeah, sure. Because they're, and they're so beautiful, all of the different like kinds and colors and shapes and sizes and, like they're a magical, magical species of creature. And I think it's amazing that you dedicate your life to looking after them. But your main job is looking after a Komodo dragon. At the moment, yes. Yeah. Which is great. You're the Komodo yeah. keeper at London Zoo at ZSL. Um, Khaleesi mm-hmm. is your main gal at the moment. Yes. Who's an amazing, how much, is, how much does she weigh? Well, she's really small. She's a female Komodo yeah. dragon, so she's about 30, 32 kilos, depends on the time of year. Yeah. Um, wow, she lays like, weighs less than cowboy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very light, because yeah. the thing about reptiles is, same with most species, is they don't have any subcutaneous fat. So there's no fat stored in between their skin and muscle like we have. It's only kind of fat that's found around their organs. So wow. when they are a healthy weight like she is, that majority of that weight is muscle, mm. muscle and bone. Amazing. So they are literally lean, purely muscle. Yeah. She's very beautiful mm-hmm. um, and she's quite friendly. Yeah. She's quite like, you can go quite close to her. You, no one else. Yeah. The thing about Komodo dragons is they're, they're an apex predator uh, and they have no um, competition. So mm. naturally they're not nervous. Mm. So they're not a nervous species. If you have something, for example, like a puff adder in the middle of Africa, they're a super dangerous animal, but they are on the menu for so many species. And also they can be trawled by elephants, rhinos, ostriches. So they're very nervous and they have right. to be very defensive and they have to be very aggressive in their defense to protect themselves. So there's a lots of threats around them. Whereas dragons, as an adult dragon has no threat. So they're not scared of anything. So they're the top of the food chain. Yeah. And they That's... don't have that nervous energy mm-hmm. and there's never that really that fight or flight. It's just more like relaxing yeah so when you do when you do work with one it's a lot easier even though it's an apex predator even though it's solitary as well it's not social that's the the hardest barrier to get over it even though they are solitary they're, they're not scared so it's so much easier to work with them to build a bond yeah that's amazing so cycling back to nine-year-old you mm-hmm. having those snakes you knew that's what you wanted to do. And it's obviously a career that I think a lot of people would love is getting into conservation and working with animals. And it's obviously quite a, I don't think it's competitive in the way of like people are competing, but it's hard to get into at least. Yeah, it's a, it is extremely competitive just because okay. of the lack of positions Jobs. available. For example, like the job I applied for, maybe 1,000 people apply for it and one person's getting it. Yeah. Um, because in the UK, there's a, there's, a, there's a high population density and there's a relative small number of jobs for those roles. So it's quite, whereas in the US, it's a, it's a vast country that has maybe more jobs uh, available in the, in the industry. Because there's more reptiles. Yeah, and, and, and just more bigger. space, more habitat, yeah. more animals, <laughs> yeah. uh, more, more, en- more organizations. Yeah, so it's pretty tricky. Whereas the UK, you've got ZSL, which is a tremendous force of conservation. You've got all sorts of other institutions, but it's less. It was quite hard to just get those roles. Mm-hmm. And some people stay in those roles for 50 years. God. So. But you, 
you built your career on basically volunteering, right? Like you at the, from very, very young, you were working with animals in the tropical zoo, first of all, when you were very little, putting, like telling kids about reptiles and giving those kind of tours. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously graduating to ZSL, you've been there for like nine years? Yeah, it'll be nine years this July. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's amazing. So you always knew it was snakes. Yeah. That's always been something that you have loved and I've seen it firsthand like just how much you love those animals and how obsessed you are and it's just so lovely to be with someone who's so like passionate about what they do and I think that's we have something very much in common mm-hmm. like you're so obsessed with snakes yeah, you've got to be. <laughs> and the way that you I mean we do something called herping which for those who don't know is like going out at night and looking for snakes yeah. so it's great fun. It is good fun. And I, you know, at first I was a bit like, I don't know about this. Because it's, you know, to go out and look for snakes at night in the jungle is like, not nerve wracking, but it's definitely like new. Um, and now it's just second nature to me that we're just out with our torches and I know exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. And you always call it like a lucky dip because yeah. you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah. Here there, we haven't found any snakes. It's too dry. Found two. Found but it. not many, yeah, relative yeah. to the time we've been here. But it is peak dry season in yeah. Thailand and it's drier than usual for poor dry season. So yeah. it's tricky. Yeah. And we're in the mountains. Yeah. It's cold at night. Yeah. So, but the places that we have been where um, we found loads of snakes, it's so much fun because you're just out at night and you don't know what you're going to find. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Joe will be like going towards something and then you're just holding a bloody whatever it is. And it's yeah. really exciting. And it's so beautiful to know that like, those creatures live all over the world and you can go and see them and find them. And please don't approach dangerous snakes unless you are yes, a herpetologist. Don't. Joe, you don't want to bother them. Yeah. Do you have any stories or like dangerous moments with snakes? You've never been bitten by a snake. Nothing highly venomous. Yeah. I've been bitten by mildly venomous species, vine snakes that we'll probably see tomorrow in yeah. southern Thailand. Vine snakes are really cool, but cool. mild venom. Um, like different harmless yeah considered hot they're not medically significant so they right, have right, venom right. but they don't cause you any harm it's more like cool. an irritation okay beautiful do you have any like near misses or any kind of like really big stories that stand out when it comes to either because you work with crocodiles as well this is crocodiles and alligators you work with yeah. you have been on the back of a crocodile or... yeah, quite a few i mean also in the wild doing our conservation programs yeah in nepal, nepal. yeah so that's probably there was quite hairy because you've got to factor in a few things like um our zetacells work in the pools is really really good and we were actually catching so we had the first permits in the pool to catch wild gharial so i I was helping my friend do her phd so we caught 15 wild gharial crocodiles um and you have to lay a river uh, a net across the river and as soon as a crocodile goes in you pull that and really quickly get the crocodile out and then you attach the, the gps tracker gharials although they can get seven meters and they are huge ancient giant reptile they specialize in eating fish so even if the head is this big they have a very narrow snout they can kill you but because they're a huge animal you know six seven hundred kilos massive animal but they 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 don't eat mammals they don't they they don't really have the dentition to Mm. do something severely well they they can still kill you but it's not Mm. like a saltwater crocodile in Mm -hmm. australia um however in the river in the Rapti River in the pool we were working on there are mugger crocodiles and there was one that was always opposite us that had killed about seven people that they know of so 
There was a, those are, Malga crocodiles are large crocodiles that eat a lot, quite a lot of people, especially in oh Nepal and India. A lot of people wash their stuff in the rivers. And so, they just come up and... Yeah, they eat them. So there were a few muggers around us that are what? known man-eaters as well. So you've got to be uh, care- careful of those ones. There's also a lot of tigers. There's a lot of tigers in Chit One. Um, I never saw any, uh, but if you don't, if you do, probably going to get eaten unless they're far away anyway. Oh my God. So you've got to be careful. Although tigers generally hunt at night anyway, you will get hunting in the daytime, but it's more nighttime yeah. or early morning, late evening when there's cover from the dark. Yeah. Um, but it's those things you've got to watch out for. The gharials are fine, but the mugger crocodiles, very dangerous, obviously. Uh, tigers. And we saw a lot of rhino when working there, which is really cool. Again, they can cause you harm uh, but if you leave them alone give them space they're fine like in the little rivers in the little villages sorry uh the rhinos would just walk down the street it's really cool got some cool videos wow. and just walking next to shops just incredible so that was really cool in terms of venomous snake bites um i've certainly had a few post course some you know 30 uh, 31 I forgot 32 am i no wait i've forgotten how old i am 31 i'm very sure yeah you're 31 yeah i'm 31 yeah, so like I'm 31 and I've been working with venomous snakes, handling venomous snakes from 10 years old. Uh, so I've had a lot of experience. You know. I've also had a lot. I, you're going to have close calls when you work with them that much. Yeah. So, you know, I spent 18 months doing reptile rescue in Australia every day on call, uh, especially in wet season. There's loads of snakes. There's loads of human animal conflict there with snakes. So snakes get into houses, hotels, mm. tennis courts, golf courses, public areas. So I did a lot of um, reptile rescue in Australia and, you know, Things like eastern brow snakes, coastal taipans, hyper fast, highly venomous snakes. You're going to have some close calls. Now, luckily, nothing bad, but no. you're certainly close to you know. Being I a bit think concerning. it's worth noting as well that the like the way that Joe handles snakes is amazing to watch. Like, I obviously I had no idea when I met you of like how people hold snakes. I just thought all I knew was like Britney Spears with massive bloody what, what was that articulate? I thought it was probably a Burmese python. python. Probably they use them art for film. That's what maybe. I thought. But having watched you handle these snakes, it's amazing because you hold them by the tail, um, and they obviously they're just one long muscle, aren't they? And yeah. like vertebrae. So the way that you kind of almost like whip them away from you like a kind of balancing act when they come round. It's so, it's amazing to watch, but it's obviously something that's taken like, like me with horses, I'm so in tune with horses yeah. and I know how to read a horse's ears and just by like one snort, I know pretty much what it's trying to tell me. You're yeah. the same with snakes. It's like, you're very in tune with them. You've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Um, and it's really, yeah, it's beautiful to watch. But um, you speak about all this stuff like it's kind of just normal, but for a lot of people listening, they'll probably have questions about, and I think it's something we could talk about how fearless you are. Cause obviously you just, one thing I really respect about you and something I've learned uh, about myself through being with you is just how calm and fearless you are. You just sort of like get on with stuff. You're just very, yeah. I'll just handle it. I'll just deal with it. I'll just sort it out. Is there anything that's like happened in your life that's informed that sort of steadfastness and calmness? Or have you just always been like that? When it, come, when it comes to like animals, it's just always been like that. And it gets reinforced the more you learn. But I've never been scared of snakes because I'm just so, you know, obsessed with them. Um, there's, a, there's a mutual respect. Well, I mean, maybe not mutual. There's a respect from my end of, of what that animal is, what it can do. As um, you know, uh, 
acute awareness of how dangerous they are. Mm. Um, but there's no nervousness because it's just it's pure enjoyment and it's experience. You've, it's all about animal behavior. The more you know about the animal behavior, whatever it's a Komodo dragon, a silver crocodile, a coastal taipan, the more understanding of that animal's behavior you have, the, mm. the less mysterious it is. Um, but I certainly, you can get, you can certainly have close calls where your heart, you know, obviously the adrenaline kicks in, your heart goes a bit and you're, you're aware of what's going on, but I've just never been scared of them. I'm certainly scared of things like flying. I absolutely <laughs> hate flying. I'm scared of it, you know, Yeah. but there's no, I don't have any fear uh, when it goes to animals because um, it's just a pure experience and it, I've just never had that. It's no. never something up to like, right, I got to train myself to get used to handling venomous snakes and then I won't be scared of that. Fear was never in it from the beginning. Um, I've just always felt that way. Mm. But like I said, there's a, there's an acute understanding though of mm. how they are and how dangerous they can be. Mm. Um, so it's not like a, it's respect. It's not like a negligence. It's just a, it's just how I feel. Kind yeah. of thing. It's amazing. And moving on to your fitness journey. Because you have, I mean, you've always, and this is a kind of fitness-ish, I think it's swaying away from that a little bit, but it is meant to be a fitness podcast. Um, your history with fitness and your fitness journey, whatever, mm. you've always been quite active, right? Yeah, I've certainly always been active. Like I've always been out in the garden looking for animals, climbing trees, that kind of stuff. But I was never in, into conventional sports. I broke my leg pretty badly um, during like maybe year eight at school which put me out of like the classical PE for a few years. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important actually to have that foundation of fitness. Like I didn't realize at the time and you don't when you're a kid, but having PE like yeah. every day, it's really good. So important. And it builds up a really good core level of fitness. Yep. Like Charlie, obviously you Our know Charlie. Yeah. He, you know, had that from year eight to year 11, constant PE every day. Yep. And you build up, a, without realizing, you build up a tremendous mm. core strength and mm. cardio uh, from all the different sports. I know schools are different, but it's like football, rugby, tennis, whatever, mm. badminton, that stuff. Mm. You, you do build up a lot. Which is why it's so difficult if you are someone who at school is struggling with your mental health or is being bullied and doesn't want to go to PE, like myself. Like I don't, I didn't go to, probably, I probably went to half a PE class my whole time at school. I yeah, obviously, same. yeah, like I don't, you don't realize just how much that affects you when you get older and you want to do things and you realize that your body can't keep up with what you want to do yeah. and how much it plays into your mental health and how much support that gives you. And I remember watching all the kids at sport playing, kids at sport, kids at school playing sports and being like, I just can't even imagine doing that, yeah. you know? But so at school, you weren't very active. Obviously now you are like a power lifter. Lazy powerlifter. You are a lazy powerlifter. Yeah. A lot of people ask me, do you run like me? Yeah. No. 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 I certainly have. <laughs> yeah. I used to. You know, when I first, like I said, I missed the, the PE sort of things. But when I started getting into martial arts and on everything that's involved in that, I did lots of running for yeah. sure. Ne never, never anything more than 10K. Yeah. But I did loads of 5Ks and 10Ks and all yeah. sorts of running, hit training, sprinting, the yeah. fartlet training, sprint yeah. job kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I did quite a lot for a number of years, uh, but not now. No. Uh, when was the last time you went for a run? <laughs> maybe like four years ago. Wow. Yeah. Before we met. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So Joe is not a marathon runner, will probably never run an ultra, but you do like lifting heavy objects yeah. for one rep and then sitting down, yeah. chilling out and then lifting yeah. it again. So yeah, Joe's very strong and you've had a history of martial arts in your friend group yes. because obviously Jason, our friend, is a Muay Thai fighter and you guys always were sparring. Yeah. And that came to you kind of later in life, didn't it? Or 
Yeah, so maybe 14 when I started getting interested in boxing, uh, playing around with boxing, like classic kind of Lonsdale boxing, like your Tyson Fury style Western boxing. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Obviously, growing up with Jason and Gabriel, uh, who are sons of Simon Lau, who is one of the most famous Wing Chun practitioners in the world. Uh, he, Simon, their dad, was a student of Yip Man. I'm sure some of you heard of Yip Man. He is very famous practitioner of Wing Chun Kung Fu in China. He is famously Bruce Lee's trainer as well. So the Jeet Kune Do, what Bruce Lee made, which was his own fighting style. Jeet Kune Do was a mixture of Wing Chun and Taekwondo and other things that he had all mixed together. But yeah, so Simon um, obviously is an amazing practitioner of Wing Chun. So I grew up watching Jason and Gabriel sparring and doing Wing Chun. And I was amazed by it. It's beautiful. It's with martial arts, it's so important with the right um, teacher because martial arts and i feel like it's the same with yoga these days it can be very diluted and who you're learning from can vary so much you don't know who, who's teaching you this Where, where's their school of thought from you know where is this knowledge from whereas with simon it's straight from the source so watching jason gabriel spar was fascinating mm-hmm. and i started doing wing chun at quite a young age too with them just sparring amazing and that obviously then led into a natural curiosity into martial arts so mixed martial arts the ufc Back in the earlier days, UFC was insane, crazy, <laughs> really, really crazy. So I loved that. I loved mixed martial arts. I really got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the Roger Gracie Academy, uh, Judo, Brother yep. Ray Stevens Academy, and then kickboxing and just different striking martial arts. Sambo as well, which is a Russian like kind of uh, submission martial art wrestling. Really cool. Very cool. I really like Greco-Roman wrestling too and all-American wrestling, but Sambo is, is fascinating. Yeah. So cool. So you're just an all-round badass, really. It is really good fun. <laughs> it is really good fun. And especially if you're a teenager, just sparring, rolling. It's good it's, for young men, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very healthy for young men and women, I think. Any kind of outlet for mm-hmm. anything. Certainly, I think, had could I if I could go back in time and I was dealing with my really bad anger issues, which I know that you sort of had to. Yeah, I think effort all teenagers do. Hormones. Yeah. Um, I think if I had really, if I had found something like Mai Tai or boxing, that discipline, but also outlet of frustration and anger in a controlled environment could be life-changing for people. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. yeah. It sounds cliche, but there's a reason why they all say that. It yeah. Does. Yeah, really, we, yeah, we went to a Mai Tai fight last night for the first time. I'm really, really keen to try it. Um, I think, I don't know, in my head, I've got this idea that I would be quite good. Yeah, well, I, I think, mean, yeah, you, you would. You, you pick up, you know, well, yeah. you're an athlete now and you're like, you know, very good at what you do. So it doesn't, yeah. you can, there's a lot of crossover. Uh, I think the foundation is just having good fitness. And when yeah. you have good cardio, then you don't, you can actually learn and you can go an hour without getting super tired. So yeah. Yeah, you should pick things up quite quickly. I think as well, just anything that's a sport now is just what I am so into. Like, I just think, like, getting I got into lifting to obviously sort of change myself or kind of not change, but kind of augment my physical being. And as I've gone along this fitness journey and met you, and met like all the other people, and fallen in love with like running as an endurance sport, you know, I was trying to think of like what other things can I do and get into that aren't focused on what my body looks like and I think martial arts is just such a beautiful like everything like last night just seeing the ritual of like the dance beforehand mm. the head is it called a headdress I don't know what it's called I don't know what the term is but no but it's beautiful the yeah. music the tie bag pipes mm. which my Scottish roots were like this is amazing right. um 
just the ritual of it and the way that it's like this thing that's so respected and they're so respectful of each other and between rounds immediately as soon as the bell goes they smile at each other yeah they're you know bowing to each other it's just it it's incredible it's fascinating it's so steeped in history and i think that i could really sink my teeth into for sure rather yeah. than you know just bodybuilding or whatever it is um but we all have things that we love um and we do differently so we are going to take some questions now there's uh been amazing questions and i think we're gonna kind of go through them because it's very special for me to have joe on here so i wanted to make sure that we included you all in this because this is very nice for me joe what is your favorite thing about cassia describe her in three words three words wow okay well definitely passionate kind those are the first two things come to mind and loving oh you know <laughs> that's very sweet well the, the first thing popped in my head i'm sure if i sat down for 10 minutes and thought about every each word there could be a different one but that's, that's and what's funny. your favorite thing about me <laughs> this feels so self-indulgent oh uh, well i mean it's hard it's just, there's so many things you know what do you want to say oh. in response to that um I think just your pure-hearted kind of nature, you know, just that kind willingness um, to just understand, explore, see things, you know, and that's really important to have that because people aren't, you know, they're kind of closed-minded and saying their hearts, they won't be Yeah, as free. I think and it's very rare to meet people who are pure of heart and have good intentions nowadays. I think yeah. it is rare. I think there's just so much corruption and like modern day world and just so much cynicism in people. Mm -hmm. And I think to reconnect to like the childlike wonder that it takes to want to discover the world and discover yourself, but do it with just like good intentions and kindness is yeah. rare, but it's the best way to live. Like I've done so many episodes on kindness to others and um, how everyone is equal and you are me and I am you and all that kind of stuff. But it's so true. Your love journey, how love has evolved for both of you when did he propose proposal story? <laughs> um, love has evolved. I mean, I have to say for me, this relationship feels so lovely and so calm from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we, we don't argue, which is yeah. like, I know is probably very, very rare and not, not a marker of a good relationship at all. I know that no. people can have healthy arguments. Yeah, it's probably it important. Yeah. But for me, I, you know, in previous whatevers, like I've always been made to feel like I was a bit of a burden and a problem to be around. And I think what I love the most is how much grace you show me and patience and just how our love feels very innocent and like very calm. Yeah. And I think it's always, it's always felt like that. We're very kind of generous with each other. There's never mm -hmm. a tally of anything. It's just kind no. of, you know we just do the best we can by each other. And I think we're both very calm, but also incredibly engaged with what we love and very passionate. So I think having yeah. those two things, cause I, you know, I'm obviously very busy. You are very busy too. And we both have vocations. So we both do a job that we absolutely love. And that give and take of like, knowing that you need time to do your snake stuff. Mm -hmm. I need time for 444 and all of the other things I'm doing. And just like understanding that is really important. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then do you want to tell the proposal story? <laughs> Should I? Yeah. Well, I mean. We were in the Everglades. Yeah. Looking for snakes. 
No, no, we weren't looking for snakes. Oh, we weren't looking for snakes. I mean, oh, that was right. I'm yeah. always looking for snakes, but yeah. the in, the reason why we were at that lake wasn't for snakes. No, we I was filming. Doing a run. Yeah. So I was about to go on a run. <laughs> just proposed to me in front of a pond in the Everglades. Yeah, well, it was a lake. It was a lake. And there was an alligator and there was fish. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. It was very us. Like, yeah. I was in my running gear. We were completely alone. You got down on one knee and you said, I don't know what to say. Yes. Because obviously. Yeah, I didn't. We're really. both of it. We're just not, yeah, you know. No, I, th- I mean, I thought it was a good opportunity because you obviously had cameras set up, you had tripods set up, you were filming a run. And if unless I'm taking pictures of animals, I would never like say, let's take a picture because I don't do that really. Yeah. And I don't need to because you do that enough for yeah. both of us. So I thought there's a camera rolling. There we go. There's an easy way. You won't realize what's going on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was surprised to be honest. I didn't yeah. know. But in my mind, I think for like a few, for like a year anyway, I'd just been so sure that obviously this is just it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine meeting anyone as fabulous as you, to be honest. Thanks. You're very unique. Yeah. You are very unique. And yeah, it's just certainly. I feel very lucky, you know, to have met you. Thank um, you. Yeah, the feeling's mutual, obviously, because now we're engaged. How does Joe relieve his stress or worry of helping someone close to him deal with mental illness? It's, it's just dealing with situations as they come, yeah. you know. It's, it's, that's just it. What, yeah. Whatever is going on, you kind of just deal with it in the moment. Yeah. Um, you kind of talk it through there. Yeah. It doesn't really... Yeah. You're very good. You're very patient with me. Obviously, being in a relationship with someone whose moods do go up and down, I know it's probably quite testing. But um, it is less and less, isn't it? Yeah. We're trying. And yeah, you help yeah. me manage my... Uh, it's mostly stress with work that uh, is the big one for me. So I'm trying very hard to manage that and not overwhelm or overwork myself because it usually triggers bad mental health episodes if I do that. So you're very good at trying to help me give myself some time and space away from my responsibilities, mm-hmm. which helps. But yeah. you are very, very patient. But do you, do you ever worry about me or does it stress you out? Or are you quite... <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's natural, isn't it? You're never going to idly sit by and think this is just fine. You know, of course it's going to affect you because you don't want the other person to feel the way they're feeling. So yeah. that, that if you're naturally empathetic anyway. Yeah. So of course you're going to experience, you know, a mirror... Uh, you know, a concern, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't extend beyond that or outside of that situation. Yeah, that's good. Sobriety. So this is a big thing everyone has been asking about for both of us. And we both had really different, um, we both had really different journeys, uh, both had really different journeys with sobriety. So you were my inspiration to be sober because up until I met you, I didn't know anyone that was. Mm-hmm. So all of my mates, um, and I love them to pieces, but they are big drinkers, big partiers. Um, and I had always been around that as like the only way to socialize is to drink uh, and be out for three days or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so meeting you and seeing how confident and funny and engaging you were without alcohol was really inspiring to me at least. Yeah. And I've only been alcohol free not very long, but I've been slowly, slowly going from like functioning alcoholic to now being alcohol free over sort of like three years, I'd mm-hmm. say, very slowly easing it out. When did you know that alcohol wasn't going to be a part of your life anymore? Um, I mean, it just kind of happened to be honest. I think like drinking 
uh, culture is really common in, in England and Australia. You know, it's, it's a very big thing. Uh, same in Thailand, well, here actually. Yeah, big, big people big party. Yeah, we, and just casual yeah. drinking. It's just part of ceremonies and whatever behave, certain behaviors. Drinking's common. So in England, of course, uh, as a you know, growing up uh, as a, through the teenage years, you drink a lot. I think most people do. It'd be unusual if they didn't. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, you build a habit, and it just becomes kind of casual. But it was never a big, a big issue for me. But I certainly did drink a lot, and I could drink a lot. Um, yeah. You were a party guy, like for you sure. did you. You know, you engaged. Oh, absolutely. But it was never something that were like, I don't know. It never really grabbed me. Right. Psychologically. Right. I think I didn't have a, like a true, I wouldn't say a true psychological addiction. Right. To, like I needed to drink and this, I, it was more just like fun. Yeah. Partying. But I did drink a lot for sure. Yeah. You know, I could drink. A lot. A lot of pints. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. And it was just coincidental really. I, I did a, a particular um, kind of health revamp where I started getting super fit. So I thought I wanted to cut out, you know, the classic things, bad food, refined food, sugars, alcohol, all that stuff. And it was after doing that for two months. I just, I just never felt the need to drink again. Amazing. So it was kind of, it was intentional and then. Unintentionally stuck. Yeah. 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 And after that, I just realized it didn't do anything for me. It didn't serve any purpose um i think people can sit down have a glass of whiskey or wine and that's absolutely fine yeah like yeah it's so fine yeah but for me i i was never drawn to do that i didn't feel like i wanted to just have a drink so yeah it kind of just happened yeah it's yeah it's interesting obviously we had very different journeys towards being alcohol free but i think what's really funny about being here in thailand is seeing the kind of juxtaposition between our experience here and what would be the classic you know, traveler slash tourist experience. Yeah. We went, we don't go to bars um, really, uh, but we did walk past some and it is fascinating to see yeah. just how much is being consumed um, and all the sort of shouting and stuff. And it's, um, I think for me, it's uh, being alcohol free just gives me a sense of peace and security in myself. And I think for a lot of people who are able to moderate it, it's completely fine. Like yeah, obviously sure. got nothing yeah, yeah. against consuming alcohol at all, but just in, in my personality, having such a, a addictive, passionate personality where like when I like something, I really like something and I'll just do it until I drop. Um, alcohol probably isn't something that I can really continue on with, but being on this trip, um, and certainly having a whole Christmas, New Year's and 30th birthday party sober uh, has been just mind-blowing to me how much calmer and productive, not that you have to be productive on holiday, but being able to be out running up mountains, swinging yeah. through the trees, just being sort of calm in myself um, and realizing how much time hangovers robbed from me, I think. Um, it's really taxing on your body. Yeah. And it's the same with... Um, you know, exercise the next day. If you have a couple of beers, you really feel it. And like when I was working in Australia, I did I did drink then. If I had a few beers and I had to get up early and go and catch a snake, it affected my ability, your focus. Again, yeah. if it's 35 degrees at nine in the morning, yeah. boiling hot, and you had a few beers the night before, you're slower. Yeah. You now you feel it when you're trying to catch that unbelievably fast Titan. Yeah. Um, and that translates to anything, running, lifting weights, whatever, you'll, you'll feel it the next day. I think for me, it's the cognitive function as well. Um, 
just realizing how much smarter I feel yeah. being sober. Um, and I know there's a lot of geniuses who drink. Again, it's absolutely fine if you do, but it's just very interesting to me how much more clarity of thought and stillness of mind I can have when I am sober yeah. and doing the whole, cause I did try to do the whole moderating thing where I was like, Oh, I just have one drink or I had a two drink rule where it was like a couple glasses of Prosecco and that's it. But that made me really anxious because I didn't know where I was with it. Cause I was mm. very like, am I sober? Am I not? What's going on? You know? So making the decision to be like, it's just not, I'm not going to do that. Um, has made it, just that my anxiety goes away. And it also means that I socialize more. Yeah. So I'm out at night at restaurants, out at bars. I'm always like, I say yes to everything because I know I'm not drinking. So I know I'm going to be fine the next day. And I know I'm going to be fun because yeah, when I drink, I don't particularly like myself. <laughs> so just it, that takes it all away. But no, you were certainly someone who inspired me and showed me that there is life without alcohol. And yeah. You can do things like go for a walk in the park and it's really fun. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like this massive three-day party, you know. Olivia asks, what is the biggest lesson you have taught each other? I think from you, I have learned very much, um, or I'm learning, I'll say, uh, not to care about what other people think of me. That's yeah. a huge thing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you are so incredible at um being someone who is just like yourself entirely and you are so confident in who you are mm -hmm. that you just don't care about what other people think of you yeah. and obviously coming from my background of being a little bit bullied and having you know people be a little bit nasty to me it was something that's and I'm still dealing with other people's opinions being sort of in my life or caring about them and you're you have taught me to just not give a shit yeah, about I mean, that you, yeah you've got to be yeah because yeah. you just don't yeah i mean once you you know like you, when you are certain of your path and you're honest to yourself and you know what you're doing is right and you know you're good at it then it doesn't matter yeah what anyone says yeah it doesn't it's just opinions isn't it yeah and everyone has opinions and i think people's opinions of you are sort of none of your business as well which yeah. is a really good way to look at it um, so I think it would probably be that from you, just how much you've taught me. Yeah, that um, it's okay to be different and to really love what you do very passionately and not care what other people think about it. Yeah. Um, I've definitely become way more myself since being with you, uh, or at least back to who I was pre-getting a little bit unwell, mm -hmm. um, which is just, I love so passionately and I'm so emotional. <laughs> and I just accept that as part of who I am and yeah. if people don't like it they can pop yeah know? for sure so having that comfort you know with each other and being comfortable um and when you are then you're calm so you're kind of you 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 bring that calmness out of each other in terms of in within that kind of realm of being in a, within a relationship yeah calm happy content those things they all kind of merge into one yeah and although if someone may on the outside or how you work, be very energetic and bouncing all over the place. <laughs> that, that doesn't translate to that, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it still has that effect yeah. of when we're in a relationship together and when you're happy and when you are good for each other, you will make each other calm. Yeah. And it's like a, a nice balance. 
yeah, our relationship is the least of my worries. Yeah, <laughs> you know, good. really, truly. Like, it's so lovely that um, to be in a place where it is just, you know, you cross my mind because I, I love you, obviously, but our relationship doesn't ever cross my mind in the way of something to worry about. I just know that it's it's so steadfast. Yeah. And I think, I think... A lot of people have asked, a lot of people have asked for dating advice, which is kind of, I'm probably, I'm really not the person to ask that just because I'm not a dating guru and I haven't really dated very much. But um, I would say main piece of advice. And I think from two people who are in a functional, healthy relationship Mm. would be, you know, I think really trust yourself when you are with someone it shouldn't feel panicky and it shouldn't feel fraught or like you're forcing something it should feel quite calm yeah definitely um and those sort of like big butterflies or big shows of emotion and huge cycles of like nastiness to love to like arguments and passion and yeah you know as much as i'm sure mm-hmm. that works for some people in my experience true love is very calm and often if you are someone who has been through cycles of abuse or tricky relationships it can be quite scary to come to a very still relationship where it feels very natural and nice and calm because you're very addicted and used to that kind of like i know yeah like rush of like yeah. whatever it is arguing or passion um but i think people who are very kind and unassuming um are quite rare yeah. like they are and I think depending kind of where you're from depending um, where you're from for sure yeah i'm yeah. sure most people in thailand are quite kind yes yeah, it's, it's so it's so different it's culturally like yeah, yeah it makes a huge difference yeah. but yeah yeah um i would say probably if we're talking the modern dating scene in the western world yeah um it's yeah it's not that nice out there i've no, heard from my girlfriends i'm very grateful that we have each other because yeah just honesty integrity um calmness and really just appreciating each other for all their weird little bits mm-hmm. is so wonderful um and i think it's uh yeah it makes me very sad how people i think see people as disposable nowadays um yeah because i'm very like I'm, I'm very, I'm very loyal <laughs> to all of my friends and family, and to you, obviously as well. But I had always found that people just don't seem to be nowadays. They just yeah. want, you know, next, 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 and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's sad to see. But having someone who is just in it for the long haul is lovely. Yeah. So I don't know if that's any kind of dating advice. Do you have any dating advice? <laughs> no, I mean, again, not. Not particularly, but it's just the most important thing is to have people that understand and appreciate kind of human nature and you for who you are. Because as soon as you have people that think, no, I don't like this about you, you need to change, conform to how I think you should be, that's bad. Unless someone does truly have negative (laughs) behavioral cycles that they do need help with, sure. But if they're trying to change like the fabric of who they are to mold what they think is right, then that's yeah. it's very common. You see yeah. it all the time I with know. people where they think, no, stop being like that, doing this. You need to behave this way. That's obviously... You should be nurturing people's little tiny yeah. weird things that they love so much um, because that's what makes human beings human beings. And all of the weird little wonderful things that you do 
um, are an expression of your experience on this earth. And yeah. to have someone try and trample it or change it or tell you that it's weird or that you should be quiet or that you shouldn't do that is really sad. And I think a sign of someone you shouldn't be dating. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. it's super common. It's, it's very common. Yeah. I also see that a lot in dating under the influence. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who have probably never been on a date sober, which I used to do that, so I know. Um, it's very hard to understand someone's energy when you are you know and you're not sober yeah, i think sure. i think yeah. being able to read people is such a huge thing and for a long time i don't think i could read anyone because i was just under the influence um and i think being able to be calm enough to be still and step back and think about things and read people is a really is a really big thing yeah. so if you are looking for your person i would say go into it with First of all, confidence and clarity of who you are and know that you don't need to change yourself for anyone yep. um, if, if they are good qualities, obviously. Um, but also just calmness and stillness of mind, knowing that you will find the person, but you just have to be, you know, confident in, in who you are uh, yep. and recognize when things aren't feeling good that it probably isn't good because those feelings are there for a reason, you know. Yeah, for sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Not very good at dating advice, but that's all I've all I've got for you. Um, okay, a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap it up. How did you allow yourself to love or be loved? I can't let myself even go on a date. Obviously, I didn't date for a very, very long time because I was very struggling a lot with uh, my mental health problems, which then meant that self care practices and hygiene wasn't great. And then I became really um, agoraphobic, which is just I didn't want to leave my flat. And I just wasn't in a place where like, I mean, you know, if I wasn't looking after myself, the thought of going on a date was just not fathomable. So I think it's okay also to let yourself have space and time where you aren't dating and you're not looking to meet anyone and you're only looking to kind of meet yourself. However, if you're in a space where you do feel okay with yourself, um, but you're just lacking in confidence, I think the most important thing to remember is that everybody can be loved in any state or any stage of their journey on this planet. You are, you know, worthy of love and respect and acceptance. You know, if I had met you four years ago, even when I was struggling, I mean, I've spoken to your grandma about this. I know for a fact you'd still be interested in me yeah, as a human being yeah, yeah. because you're a kind person and yeah. I don't think you really care what I look like at all. No. <laughs> like that's the least of your concerns. Yeah. Um, and I know that in your spirit and integrity, I know I know that you would have cared for past Cassia a lot. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, it's... Which makes me want to cry talking about that. But, you know, I was worthy of your love then and I am worthy of it now. Mm -hmm. And as we go through life and my body changes, my hobbies change and everything changes, I know you'll still love me. Yeah. And that's like such an important thing. But just know that, you know, allowing yourself to be loved comes from admitting that you are a person who's worthy of love, which can be very scary to do if you're stuck in a self-sabotaging or self-hatred cycle but knowing that the little steps you take to get better for yourself mean that you should be able to open yourself up to love and to love is probably one of the scariest things in the world because human beings fear rejection above all else I think um yeah. so being vulnerable and saying like this is who I am I really like you I'm putting myself out there you're opening yourself up to a lot of pain and it's terrifying but Going back to our earlier point, you know, scary things 
quote unquote, are good things. Yeah. You know, that's living. So yeah. like signing up for a race, getting into herpetology, you know, running up the side of a mountain, telling someone you love them, going on a date, I don't know, catching a snake. These are all things that make life worth living and are really important. And I think that if you can grab life by the balls and go for it, you should. But it little baby steps, well, you know, take yeah. it day to day. To day. Mm, this is a good question. One thing in your life that has left you speechless. I definitely had one the other day. I think the first time we went to a temple here. Uh, I've never been to Asia, so this is my first time seeing any of this kind of culture. And I never thought I would see the world, let alone coming to bloody Thailand. So I think the first time walking into a temple or going up to the White Castle, actually mm -hmm. there's a temple on a hill just by uh, in the jungle here, walking up those steps and just seeing the rich beauty of like how ornate and wonderful and peaceful these places are just left me completely speechless. Yeah. Looking 100%. over the jungle and realizing like, I'm here. Yeah. That's so insane. Running up Doisy Tep, being at the top of the temple, realized I just ran 13 kilometers up steep elevation. Yeah, a whole mountain. Quite quickly. Yeah, it was quick, right? It was quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that left me quite speechless, as always crying. And when am I not crying on a run? Yeah, I think those are two moments from this trip. Yeah. Any yeah. <laughs> moments stand out to you? From this trip or any time? Any time. Uh, oh, God. I mean, it's so many when you think back. Um, but one of the places which we'll see hopefully soon, probably next year, is in obviously Komodo National Park. So one of the most amazing places on earth. Uh, Komodo, the national park itself is about 30 islands. Komodo is the founder of five of the islands. But one of the islands, Flores, is um, very special. Uh, about four or five hours into the center of Flores, you have Istana Ular, which translates to the Snake Palace. It's a giant cave system, a huge, intricate, deep cave system. And it's where the Homo floriensis used to live. So it's the Flores Hobbit. And it's a three-foot hominid. So, wow. you know, a three-foot human, uh, primitive human. And they lived in these caves. Uh, and seeing their cave art uh, was crazy you know seeing that for the first time knowing that only tens of thousands of, i can't remember exactly but not that long ago uh, you know less than a hundred thousand years ago they were in there they were living in there and these tiny humans they were just doing cave art and it's crazy to think that where i was standing they, these these hobbits were living you know it's, it's crazy and giant pythons so some of the biggest reticulated pythons you'll see some tomorrow how big? uh so i mean the thing about large long living reptiles is so many of them across the world were killed and persecuted for so long that honestly there hasn't been enough time for them to get massive again so a giant reticulated python they can get 10 meters apparently so 33 feet is the longest reticulated python in all your textbooks and google whatever it will tell you that where one that's been seen over seven meters in living history is i don't think there have been so i think around seven meters is the biggest currently accepted animal but they're huge you know these snakes are huge and they do eat people they, they, they do eat people in indonesia every few years it happens mm -hmm. um but when you talk about the forest hobbit and something this big they were eaten all the time by reticulated pythons so yeah just all of these thoughts going through your mind but it's a really intricate cave system it's overwhelmingly beautiful and seeing cave art from these tiny humans was just insane so that was very very cool yeah very cool that is Definitely a speechless moment, for sure. Yeah, and it's also called the Crystal um, Cave, 
because it's this certain limestone and it's almost clear and reflects oh. the light. So you'll see it when we go there. It's really, really cool. Can't wait. Really I think cool. Komodo's our next trip, probably. It's, it's um, Komodo in, in Australia. That a very be... cool place. Yeah. Very yeah. cool place. Indonesia is wild. It's 19,000 islands. You know, wow. all so different. That includes places like Borneo, Papua New Guinea, Java, Bali, Timor, Komodo. There's so many islands. Yeah. Um, Komodo is definitely on my list. I think yes. Bali might, I definitely want to see Bali, but it strikes me as a bit of a party, 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 party time. Um, yeah, but it's similar to Thailand. Like if you go, if you go on a trip, like we go into Thailand, we're in the mountains, we're in the rainforest, we're in the jungle, or you could go out just drinking in bars all night. Bali, <laughs> I absolutely love Bali. I'm with some really good friends of Bali and the wilderness of Bali is, is incredible, especially the west, uh, the west part of Bali. So the, the, the national park uh, in Bali is, insane uh some of it's only accessible by boat so you've got to drive you've got to go around a boat and get back into the mainland and there's some really wild parts there and to think tigers were walking around in bali only 70 years ago 80 years ago yeah the smallest species of tiger ever the bali tiger went Maybe. extinct in 37 i think but yeah some really cool wildlife okay two more questions and then we're gonna end it there um this is a good one it's a cute one sober date ideas for early stages that aren't dinner don't end after an hour walks yeah for sure like i think walks that's kind of our date night is going for a walk there mm -hmm. are some really lovely parks in surrey we live just outside of london um and that's kind of we just walk the, you don't need a dog but we walk the dog together mm -hmm. i mean you could walk for like three or four hours that wouldn't end yeah. um i think any kind of activity like that is good going to i don't know the zoo yeah do that yeah. a nice zoo please no dodgy zoos no horrible, one. no horrible ones conservation only yeah, I think honestly being in nature, I, I think is so lovely. Um, sure. I mean, things like rent, like, you know, going down the rivers and boats. That's yeah. what's nice as well. You can get little yeah. rowboats. Water, canals. nature. There's actually, there's so many studies being done on, uh, obviously nature is incredible for our brains and I've done episodes on this, but being with someone and doing tandem exercise, even just uh, walking, the movement of being together, um, and while also being in nature is is so healing and yeah. so wonderful for yourself. So it will be releasing all those happy chemicals as well as being with someone that you like. Um, yeah, I think walking is a good one. Picnics is also really nice as well. If it's good weather where you are, anytime in, in kind of nature, that's what, I mean, that's all we do together. That's yeah. actually it. <laughs> yeah, and things just like even museums, going to the Natural yeah. History Museum. Yeah. You're going to the Science Museum, like the Horniman Museum. Yeah. Uh, or like things like V&A, art museums, that's yeah. really cool. I think most of my community is actually American, which is yeah. interesting. But in the UK, we have natural history. I think in, the, in New York, there is natural history. There's some too. really cool places Some there. amazing places. Sure. So, yeah, and if you're lucky enough to live in the US or in Australia or Indonesia, I know there's people all over the world listening. You are so lucky to have the places that you do around you in national parks and jungles and yeah. rivers and... You could go on a whole day adventure, you know, rent some yeah. mountain bikes, um, do anything. You don't, you know, I think this idea that you have to, there's only one way to date and it's in a restaurant drinking uh, is, you know, it's fine if that works for you, but you, you don't have to drink to date. You can date sober. Sure. <laughs> it can be really fun. I was someone who was convinced I'd never be fun or confident without alcohol, but here I am now. Final sort of discussion and then we'll end it there um a lot of people have been asking about spirituality and spiritualism obviously i'm a very spiritual person 
not religious, but I do believe in Mother Earth and Gaia and the energies of the natural world. And I've been kind of shown a lot of signs by the world, whether that be in numerology or things happening in patterns or... I think just the bloody fact that you can completely transform yourself, your fitness and your entire life is a spiritual practice for me. Running is very spiritual, spiritual to me as well, like momentum and change and yeah, like completely transforming yourself is spiritual. Um, but nature and mother earth is a big one for me too. What is your relationship to spirituality? Um, uh, you know, it's fairly similar really. It's just having that deep appreciation, um, into the natural world and knowing how things are so interconnected. Um, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? There's over, currently there's over 10 million species identified on the world and wow. they're all doing something. And there's estimated that there's 40% more that haven't, or more than that, that haven't even been discovered yet or described. So there's so many species on this earth that are all doing something to create this giant superorganism. And there's so many kind of fabrics of, of life that hold it all together. So you have, you have all sorts, but you could, you know, it's electromagnetism for one, you know, there's a giant electromagnetic web around this earth that's measurable. Um, and that's what Wi-Fi is transmitted through, you know, so there's this huge energy in the earth, a, a palpable, measurable scientific energy. Uh, and that in itself is just mind blowing. That's what I think a lot of the ancient religions and, and people talk about being Gaia, you know, that, yeah. that life force that holds together the universe is maybe measurable in that kind of electromagnetic field there's something there yeah and when you look at the ancient greeks ancient egyptians and you look at the native americans and that kind of i think is quite evident when you look at the ancient or older belief systems schools of thought religions like ancient greeks ancient egyptians vikings oh of course yeah vikings yeah yeah that should be an obvious one um and you know the 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 Aborigines of Australia, incredible the, the, the indigenous people who hold so much power. I mean, yeah, they're anyway. Yeah, they're, they're fabulous. They are the oldest known modern human. Yeah, so they're, it's always our lands belong to them. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's always it's gone back over the years, and more more research is done, more understanding is done. But I think when I first started re researching ancient Aboriginals in Australia, they were known to be sixty thousand years old or something. Now it's a hundred thousand years plus. So they're, they're the oldest known modern human on planet Earth. Uh, and they, yeah, the Aboriginals of Australia, unbelievable. Uh, so you have those, and you have all of the old Central and South American religions, and the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Toltec, all that stuff. They all talk about the same thing. They're the, the web that connects Mother Nature, Gaia, this life force. So something palpable is there. And like yeah. I said, you can measure things and there are measurable things in the electromagnetic frequency. So it's just mind-blowing. There's something out, you know, there's something yeah. all keeping. And I think to together. know that everything is working with each other to keep this earth going. Yeah, apart from us. Apart from... Yeah. Yeah, so every single species, every... Everything has a role in the ecosystem. Everything keeps the planet spinning, but we're the only ones going the other way. Uh, so that's why you work in conservation, right? Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, to try and just... help us not be those people. Yes, that we always will be. Yeah. Human beings are destructive. Um, but yes, but everything's doing something. Yeah, and that helping. is, I think that's that. Yeah, that's God. Yeah, hundred like, percent. You know, yeah. I mean, you... keeping that, and and whether you see it as Jesus, Muhammad, whatever religion you are, Christian, Buddhist. Muslim, Hindu, whatever, it's in my, you know, it's all believing in a higher power and mm. the higher power is that, you know, this earth is 
sort of working all together to make everything happen. And within that, everyone's having their tiny little human experiences and falling in love and falling out of love and doing all this crazy stuff. And I think what's so beautiful about that and something I've learned on my own journey is just how we are all made of the same atoms that make up, you know, the mountains and mm-hmm. the leaves and the trees and we're all part of it. And just like the seasons, we can change and grow and change direction and have our own journeys and there's so much power in you. And I think, yeah, that's the thing about spiritualism is it's so empowering to know that you're part of it and that yeah. you hold that power in you too. So I'd say that's probably our view on spiritualism. Yeah. Uh, just think as well just in your everyday practices how you speak to yourself how you go through the world and how kind you are to other people and animals and that just raises your vibration right yes absolutely i mean and everything is constantly communicating and reacting to each other you know when you go down to like a quantum level everything is constantly responding communicating talking it's Um, wild so the way you feel think and act is is responding and yeah, you are your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole episode in itself. But if you don't see the world as the world is, you see the world how you are. Like, you know, I have days where I'm having like a bad low mood day or whatever. I could wake up on the sunniest day in the world and look outside and just think, oh, this is crap. But I wake up and I'm feeling grateful and I'm feeling mm. good about things. I look out and I see all the beautiful little things and I start noticing little leaves and butterflies and little things that make me happy. Or it could even be a rainy day and I'm walking through the park and I notice like, I don't know, raindrops falling on a spider web. And I think that's so beautiful because I'm having a good day. Yeah. Or I'm feeling really shit and I'm being really nasty to myself and I see it as just a rainy day where I'm getting wet and everything is shit. You know, so I think knowing that you also are, that energy is going out there as well is a big thing in in, in my view of spiritualism. I don't even yeah. know if it is spiritualism or if it's just being a human. I'm not sure, but yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I think we'll end it there. That was a, a lovely conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on, sir. No worries. Yeah, thank you. Um, maybe we'll do another episode sometime. Yeah, I'll be back in my normal studio next week discussing lots of different things I learned on this trip. So loads of love, guys. Thank you for listening to Nine Lives podcast. Helps me a lot. If you give me a five-star rating, helps me keep this podcast going. Love to hear your feedback on this episode. If you've got any more questions for me or Joe, I'd love to hear it on Instagram. We can connect there. Love you loads, guys, and talk to you next week.